we talk about that very colloquially. Oh, the mind-body, you know, mind controls body, the body controls the mind, and that's really important. But we haven't really stopped and talked about the magic of how that happens. And almost entirely, that communication is the vagus nerve. So when we talk about how the gut can control Parkinson's disease or the brain controls your heart rate, all of those functions come by this pathway called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve wraps around, so to speak, our conversation about an enormous number of topics. Today, I'm talking nerdy with Dr. Peter Stotz about all things vagus nerve. In this episode, we're diving into what the vagus nerve is, why it's such a buzzword in the modern wellness community, the role that it plays in regulating physical, mental, emotional health, and in mediating the mind-body connection, and the differences between stimulating the vagus nerve electrically versus manually with things like breathwork, repetitive movement, or cold water exposure. Dr. Stotz completed his residency and fellowship training at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He is internationally recognized for his work developing a unified theory of pain, inventing, developing, and implementing minimally invasive procedures and therapeutics for chronic pain, COVID, as well as other medical disorders. In 2004, he co-founded Electricore, a company devoted to health and wellness benefits of stimulating the vagus nerve. He is also currently the founder and chair of the Vagus Nerve Society. Dr. Stotz has numerous patents, written or co-edited 14 books, and over 500 articles, abstracts, monographs, and book chapters on pain medicine and neuromodulation. His work has been highlighted on Good Morning America, CBS Evening News, Newsweek, and CNN. Before we dive into this episode, we're going to take some time for a little nerd alert. A few months ago, I interviewed Mona Anand about non-sleep deep relaxation and the practice of yoga nidra. To date, this has been one of the most popular episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me. Mona Anand was a longtime mentor of mine and the person who first introduced me to the practice of yoga nidra over 10 years ago. Since then, I've run numerous rounds of yoga nidra teacher training, both in person and online. If you're unfamiliar with that word yoga nidra, it refers to a guided meditation practice that's traditionally done laying down. The goal is to teach your body how to fall asleep while your mind remains relaxed, attentive, and focused. In doing so, you allow your brain to slip into the hypnagogic state or this kind of twilight zone between being asleep and being awake. In this hypnagogic state, you'll have greater access to alpha, theta, and delta brainwave prominences and subsequently the subconscious and unconscious mind. Because of that access to the subconscious and unconscious mind, yoga nidra is an incredibly powerful practice in pulling out old belief systems from the root and planting new ones in their place and rewiring your brain to reflect the future self that you are stepping into. This practice also has amazing benefits in terms of regulating your nervous system. It helps your brain and your body shift into more of a parasympathetic state and allows you to deeply rest and relax. Whether you are someone who is actually interested in facilitating this kind of practice or you not so selfishly just want to learn more about the practice for your own self-understanding, you are welcome to join me online starting January 17th, 2024 for my next round of online yoga nidra teacher training. 
Because one-on-one feedback from me and live attendance is such a critical component, space is going to be limited. To learn more and save your spot, you can click the link in the show notes or visit alexnashton.com slash training. That's alexnashton.com slash training. Last but not least, if you have been listening to Talk Nerdy to me and have found this information to be helpful, I would love it if you could hit pause and leave this podcast a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on. In doing so, you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more listeners like you. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. So welcome, Dr. Peter Stotts, to Talk Nerdy to Me. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to be diving into all things vagus nerve related. And I know that the vagus nerve is something that has been getting so much press lately and is quite a bit of a buzzword in the modern wellness community. I'm curious if you could begin today's conversation by sharing with listeners how you cultivated such a high level of expertise in the realm of the vagus nerve. Well, first, thanks for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here with you on your show. I have been involved in the field of what I call neuromodulation for my entire academic career. I started back when I started the Division of Pain Medicine at Johns Hopkins as being an implanter of electrical devices to modify the nervous system for pain. I started implanting spinal cord stimulators and implantable pumps. And over time, I became very interested in the broader application of electrical stimulation on a variety of different structures to modify not just pain, but disease in general. And that's been somewhat of a 30-year transition for me to try to understand the electrical side of our electrical chemical beings that we are as humans. And so how did that work translate into what you're doing right now with Electrocore, GammaCore, and Truvega? Well, it's an interesting story. I had been president of what's called the North American Neuromodulation Society and been very active in this group trying to understand electricity in a variety of different diseases. And when I was president, it had been somewhat of a platform for pain. And I decided that we really needed to transition away to understand how electricity modifies diseases. And there was a lot of work going on in things like spinal cord stimulation to improve cardiac perfusion. And about the same time, my son had peanut allergies. And I started to think about Can we stop the anaphylaxis, stop the shutting down of your lungs with electrical stimulation? And we went to the lab with some very smart people and we tested the hypothesis that we could stimulate the vagus nerve to improve breathing in a rat, which we were able to figure out how to do and and open up the lungs of a rat. And then we started to uh, move away from rats to humans and found that while we could help humans with difficulty breathing in an asthma model, their headaches went away. And this started this domino of studying different disorders that the vagus nerve is involved in. Now, the vagus nerve, as your uh, listeners may know, is the longest cranial nerve. It touches almost every organ system in your body. And so when we stop and think about it, how does your body control, how does your mind control all these different organs? It's really the vagus nerve. And so a real focused effort on studying the vagus nerve 
and studying what electricity does to the vagus nerve to modify diseases, to modify the organ systems, and to modify health and wellness um, really took hold for me. And I spent the next 20 years really looking at this a little bit more closely. Awesome. So I want to backtrack to something that you said about very specifically electrical stimulation and the human body and specifically the human nervous system being an electrical entity. And I know that when I first started learning about this and a lot of the listeners of this podcast, when they hear this, there might be some fear around the idea of using electrical stimulation on our bodies. I know that for me, when I was first learning about this, the first thing that came to mind was like electroshock convulsive therapy or the kind of treatments that they use for depression in that way. I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to why there's such a potent value in using electrical stimulation and why it may not necessarily be as scary as one might initially think if they're only hearing about it for the first time. Well, the words that I used were that your body is an electrical chemical being. I'm not discounting the importance of receptors and drugs that can potentially help. So for example, there are some areas that drugs really do help. If you have an infection, having an antibiotic that goes in and fights that infection is incredibly important. But what we've done in American medicine is discount the importance of electricity in modifying disease. Your body, the nervous system, transmits energy and information via electrical impulses. This is how your body works normally. And what we're trying to do with electricity and neuromodulation more generally is to optimize the function of the body interacting with your body's own nervous system, what we call the the enteric nervous system to improve the function of the nerves, function of the organs, function of your brain. And it is just how it works. I would just take the opposite argument that if you didn't have any electricity, you would not be living at all. So I agree that you don't want to have overshock because of course that's bad, but you don't want to have no electricity because you won't be living and functioning without your body's normal electrical patterns in your body. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that further. If our electrical wiring was not working optimally, especially as it pertains to the vagus nerve, what are some of the symptoms or experiences that we might be having that would cue us into something not quite being right there or the opportunity for optimization? Well, I think when we stop and take a look at the various organ systems in the body, we can start to see that some things aren't working optimally. So you may be confused. That might be a function of vagal activation. You might have headaches. That's something that's been studied and FDA cleared now for various types of headaches with our device. You might have a disease like Parkinson's disease. There's work going on in Parkinson's disease to show that we can improve gait. Not FDA approved for that yet, but work going on in that area. Anxiety and depression is another area that is really important. And actually there's FDA clearances for implanted devices for, for those types of disorders. Moving down the body, the lungs, if you have not inadequate breathing, if you're not able to breathe adequately, it may be that you don't have enough 
bronchodilation, which is the term that we use medically to facilitate breathing, moving down the body even more. If you have a slowing of your GI tract, you might not have optimal function. There's work going on on diabetes um, because you're, you, we think about you're just overweight and that's why people get developed diabetes, but actually it's a dysfunction of some of your organ systems. And so we start to look throughout the body and you can find that many different organ systems don't have an obvious cause, an obvious answer that your doctors will tell you about. There's, you go to the gastroenterologist and they say, I don't, I don't know why you have, your GI tract is slow. I don't know why you have abdominal pain. These are things to be thinking about. Well, maybe the doctor's missing it. Maybe the doctor's not thinking about the enteric nervous system and how that interacts with the body's organs and functions. I know that was a mouthful there, but that is kind of the beginning of this. As we dig a little bit deeper, there are diseases out there that really are concerning, should be concerning to all of us. One of them is long COVID. Long COVID is a disorder that happens to be somewhere between 10 and 30% of patients who got COVID who now have really kind of a mismatch of diseases and symptoms from confusion to headaches to anxiety and fatigue and gastrointestinal distress and pulmonary problems. And these can be linked all back to the vagus nerve. There's a number of scientific studies going on now a looking at what is the pathology, what's the pathophysiology of long COVID. And then there's a group up at the Mayo Clinic right now looking at use of vagus nerve stimulation in the treatment of some of these symptoms of long COVID. So I think we're going to find that this is much, much more prevalent than what we've realized in the past. And for that reason, I think the vagus nerve and vagus nerve stimulation is one of the next great frontiers in medicine. Amazing. You mentioned quite a few of the physical issues that could arise from either coming into contact with pathogens like COVID-19 or things that are more neurodegenerative like Parkinson's. I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to some more cognitive and mental issues that we might be encountering, like confusion, for example. Where can we see or can you illustrate a little more clearly what the relationship is between the vagus nerve and some mental, emotional, cognitive issues that we might be experiencing. What's the link there? Well, I mentioned at the outset that the body is an electrical and chemical being. In a lot of different disorders, one can find an increase of inflammatory cytokines. Boy, another mouthful there inflammatory cytokines, inflammation that occurs in the brain and in the body's organ systems. The command and control of inflammation is the vagus nerve. So there are disorders out there like confusion, like early phase dementia that are associated with inflammation. And if you have an inadequate control of the inflammatory response, that can lead to some downstream effects, and one of which would be confusion. Another area that's kind of a little more broad area and, and takes us into a whole new topic, which is wellness and optimization of your health, is that the vagus nerve also 
causes a release of specific chemicals, neurotransmitters. So electrically it does it, but it causes a release of some of these chemicals that are required to lay down new memory. So interestingly, the Department of Defense has been doing some research with vagus nerve stimulation to see if we can improve learning, improve memory, to decrease fatigue in people who are sleep deprived. And these are our, our elite soldiers that are out there that they're testing this on. And the preliminary work looks extraordinarily promising. Um, I just wish that I had had a device like this when I was studying in medical school, particularly microbiology, where there was a foreign language to me and I had to learn a million facts. Having a device like this potentially could have helped me way back when focus and lay down new memory. I am really grateful to now have a device like this as well. I actually have mine right here, right next to me, but I know that listeners aren't going to quite know just yet what exactly that device is. So I'm curious if you can share a little bit more with them about what True Vega is, what Electrocore is, and how exactly that works to stimulate the vagus nerve. Sure. So Electrocore started as a medical company. The GammaCore device was a prescription and is a prescription device for medical disorders. So that's would be indicated for things like primary headache disorder. We are working right now with the FDA on post-traumatic stress disorder. There will be others coming that are all within the domain of a medical disorder that should have a physician prescription. We also have made what is electronics consumer device, which is not the prescription strength, but it's a, a device that can be used for general wellness. And what that means is there are no medical claims with this, but this frequency and this device can be used to optimize the sense of well-being and the sense of comfort and help with things like sleep and, and those types of things. And that does not require a prescription, fortunately, but it is a just a different process of approvals through F. DA and, and whatnot. And can you explain a little bit more about how exactly it works and how someone would administer electrical stimulation to themselves at home through this? Because I can imagine that many listeners are envisioning a bunch of electrodes and, you know, like old school lab research. So can you share a little bit more about what this actually entails? Because it's quite it's quite modern and sleek and not, I think, what you would expect when thinking of electrical stimulation. Yeah, well, thank you for that. What's particularly cool about this is that we figured out how to stimulate the vagus nerve in the neck, not invasively. So first of all, for your listeners, there's no surgery. There's no sticking a needle in your neck. There's no procedure that has to be done to activate your vagus nerve with this device. Unlike you know, the predicate, which was a implanted device, required one cutting down in the neck, finding the vagus nerve next to the carotid artery, wrapping a coil around it. That doesn't have to be done anymore. And that was part of our innovation. The device now has these two little metal, metal, metal contacts. We have to place a little bit of conducting gel on those two metal contacts. I asked the, the listener just to put their finger to their neck and feel their pulse. 
And where the pulse runs is where your vagus nerve runs. So we place the little device right over the neck where you feel your pulse. We turn it on and turn it till you get a comfortable pulling of your, of your lip. And we just hold it there until it turns itself off after about two minutes. And that's considered a dose. Most people require two doses, so a total of four minutes, once or twice a day for general wellness. I know that when I first received the device, I was a little skeptical. I was a little hesitant. And I'm in pretty good health. I take pretty good care of myself. I was using it every day. And I wasn't seeing too much of a difference in my day-to-day. And then I got in a pretty bad car accident. And luckily, ended up being totally fine. But I was experiencing some headaches afterwards. And it's the one thing that significantly helped me reduce the frequency of the headaches as well as the intensity of them. And then I was totally hooked. I'm a true and true believer and true fan now. And I know that a few of my other friends that I shared it with, I was like, you guys have to try this. They were noticing some really big changes in themselves too. So I can definitely attest personal experience that it really does work and makes a pretty significant change for me at least in my well-being after encountering adversity. I know that something a lot of the listeners of this podcast are really interested in is manual stimulation of the vagus nerve. So using things like breath work, using things like cold plunges, using things like repetitive movement or singing or chanting or praying as a means of activating and accessing the vagus nerve. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to some of the differences between electrically stimulating it and stimulating it through other means. Yeah, sure. So I think it's important to reflect on the ways of stimulating the vagus nerve. And I I generally think of it in four ways. One is the first that we're going to come back to is all these non-invasive approaches. Second is cervical non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation. And that's where most of the fibers roam. There's about 160,000 fibers in your neck that we can access with vagus nerve stimulation in the neck. The third would be an implanted device that carries the obvious concerns of infection and surgery and expense and all that goes on with that. And then there's an auricular device, which gets less than 1% of the fibers that we can get in the neck. So we have four different general strategies. And I'm a fan of beginning with the conservative approaches first for for everything I do in life. Those would include things like yoga with deep breathing and the stretch receptor seems to activate the vagus nerve. Meditation can do that. There are certain types of vocalizations, what's called the safe and sound protocol, which is certain harmonic that seems to replicate your mother's you know, a calming voice type of approach can activate the vagus nerve. And all of those approaches are extraordinarily safe and should maybe be considered part of people's daily lives. Uh, Meditation, yoga, those are strategies that can be helpful to people. And I suspect that if I was a Tibetan monk, I might be able to activate my vagus nerve after 20 years of practice by using my mind as well as I can with electricity. But the truth is, I think that we can more reliably and focally and strongly activate the vagus nerve 
with a prosthesis, with a device that we place on our neck and activates. That doesn't discount the importance of trying all these other strategies. If you take a look on Google search, you will find a thousand, no, you won't find a thousand, you'll find 65 million different hits on ways to activate the vagus nerve. And those are good and they're value and point to the overall import of the vagus nerve stimulation. They can work great for some people. And I don't know that I've met a person who does yoga and meditation who hasn't found it helpful. Having said that, there are some times when two minutes is all you need and you don't have 20 minutes or you really can't activate your vagus nerve. You haven't been trained well enough to do that. And a device like the True Vega can really be of significant help. Absolutely. So some of these practices like yoga, meditation, a lot of what they foster is mind-body connection. And something you mentioned a little earlier on in the episode is that communication between the mind and the body does work in two ways, not just one. And one of the things that's mediating this connection is the vagus nerve. Can you speak a little bit more to the way that communication is moving back and forth between the two along this nerve pathway? Well, Alex, you hit on something that um, has been one of the great quandaries of medicine uh, and the human physiology for literally thousands of years, which is the mind-body interface. And we talk about that very colloquially, you know, oh, the mind-body, you know, mind controls body and mind control, the body controls the mind. And that's really important. But we haven't really stopped and talked about the magic of how that happens. And almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely, that communication is the vagus nerve. So when we talk about how the gut can control Parkinson's disease or the brain controls your heart rate or you can control your sense of well-being, all of those functions come by this pathway called the vagus nerve. Now, I mentioned that there are about 160,000 fibers in the neck of the vagus nerve. Um, about 80% of those fibers are fibers going through the body, going into the brain, telling the brain what's going on out there. You know, what's the status of my my organism here? What's going on with my gastrointestinal tract? What's going on with my lungs? What's going on with my heart? All of that information is coming in through the vagus nerve to give the brain a set of information. Now, the brain's not just a stupid little structure up there that's taking all this information in. It's actually telling the body how to work. It's telling the organs, okay, we need to do X, Y, or Z. And so there is this bi-directional communication from the brain and the body that is the mind-body interaction there. And it is really interesting when we start to tease that apart, it starts to bring us additional questions and additional areas of study and ways that we might be able to optimize that are going to be helpful in an enormous number of domains, everything from understanding leaky gut syndrome and what's the bite microbiome through how should we be spending our resources in society on healthcare? Should we be splitters or should we be lumpers trying to try to understand what's going on with people? And everywhere in between, the vagus nerve wraps around, so to speak, our conversation about an enormous number of topics. 
That's incredible. And when we zoom out a little bit more and look at some of the practices that we've been talking about, right? Like the yoga, the meditation, or even using electrical stimulation, because we're talking about this bi-directionality, right? Is it when we're stimulating the vagus nerve, we're sending the signal to our brain that's subsequently going back down again to influence the body? Or is it sending the signal to the body first that's then going up to inform the brain? Is there a specific directionality? If you were to almost draw a map for how the change is taking place, where is it going? Where is it starting? Where is it ending? Or is it more circular and cyclical? The short answer is yes. All of the above. All of the above. So there was some really interesting work going on in inflammation, you know, relevant to disorders like rheumatoid arthritis. And a very, very smart guy up in New York uh, did some studies where he actually stimulated the vagus nerve and cut the vagus nerve in different places in an animal model. And what he found was that there was a direct stimulation of the vagus nerve to the spleen. When I say direct, it was a little indirect, but it didn't go up through the brain. So it goes from the, from the vagus to the celiac ganglion off to the, to the spleen. And it is a direct stimulation that actually can dampen the release of inflammatory mediators. When we did our work with asthma, we did a similar model, but we found that we actually, we were thinking that the vagus nerve went right to the lungs. But what we found in our model was that if we cut the nerve distally, we still had a profound effect, indicating that the vagus nerve sent a signal up to the brain and then back out to the lungs. So it is this very intricate set of pathways that go directly out, go up to the brain, the brain comes out again, and it is constantly measuring in the state of the body, providing information to the brain, the brain's providing information out down the vagus nerve and other nerves as well, to control the function of the body. That makes a lot of sense. Not a super satisfactory answer, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Truth is, it's both. And if you were to ask some of the researchers, they would say it's all efferent. If you were to ask others, they would say it's all afferent. But the truth is, it goes both ways. And you kind of would expect that by the nature of the way the body works, which is providing information up to the brain. The brain processes that information in some way and then has to provide information back out to the body. So it does require the brain's input to some degree. And then some of it is just a direct pathway out. So the brain's already made that information and sending information out to the body, rest, relax, and recover. That's the function of the vagus nerve, rest, relax, and recover. And the brain is trying to tell people we're not in threat, let's relax. And so that's almost like a reflex. That's an overstatement, but it's almost like a reflex where the brain is wants you to be in a state of calm. Something that I've previously heard is that there is actually some sympathetic nerve fiber in the vagus nerve, but that it's by and large a parasympathetic cranial nerve. I'm curious if you can speak just a little bit to the sympathetic nerve tissue that's present in the vagus nerve and the role that that plays. Yeah, I, I know you have a very sophisticated audience, but let's just level set for a second what we're talking. There are two kinds of nervous systems in your body, really. There's actually more, but we'll, we'll, we'll simplify it to some degree. 
It's called the somatic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system. The somatic nervous system is what allows you to walk, to touch, to interact with your environment out externally. You can put your hand down and you feel like this plate is hot. You can feel that your shirt is rubbing against your skin. That allows you to uh, give you some sensory in involvement. And it allows you to walk and, and use motor activation as well. There's also what's called the autonomic nervous system. And I break that down into two different components. One is the sympathetic and the other is the parasympathetic. The sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight response. It's, I'm sitting here, I'm eating a, an apple off the tree and a bear's chasing me. That gets me excited, run away, run away as fast as I can. But just the relaxation part, just the sitting under the tree is just rest and relaxation. That's the parasympathetic part. Now, your body has always got this interaction between the two. It's always got some sympathetic activation going on, some parasympathetic activation going on, and it's happening microseconds at a time. You can actually measure it in your lungs with deep breathing and relaxation, the activation of both sets of the nervous systems almost consistently and, and, and just all the time. Um, we think of the nervous system as being very separate, but they're not entirely separate. There are five different branches of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the sympathetic nervous system. And to your point, one of the branches is the celiac union of the thoracic sympathetics. And a branch of the vagus nerve goes right into that same area of the sympathetic area. So it is allowing this crosstalk between the two nervous systems constantly. To your point, most of the fibers in the in the vagus are parasympathetic, but some of the of the fibers actually become sympathetic at, at some point or interact with the sympathetics very closely at some point. Thank you for clarifying that. That was something that I personally had a little bit of confusion around. So very selfishly wanted to ask. If we zoom way out, it seems like collectively there's this huge push to move more into a parasympathetic state that we all need a little more rest and relaxation. And I think that's part of the reason why the vagus nerve is getting so much press lately. I'm curious why you think this has become such a buzzword. Well, I think you're right. I, I don't think we've recognized the impact of our stressful lives that we all have. And I think we can all sit back and reflect on things that cause stress in our lives, you know, from our boss yelling at us to got to pay all of these bills to I'm driving in the car on the way to work and I am all, I'm an hour late. All of these different factors are internally placed upon us of feeling stressed and worked up and that's not healthy. Other aspects that have been really tied back to this are early childhood trauma. Those are different things that are kind of integrated into your brain as having stress and stress response. And we don't have enough time in the parasympathetic or rest and relaxation. I think somewhat, you know, historically, meaning let's go back 20,000 years, 100,000 years, the human person, the human mammalian was out in rest and relaxation almost all of the time. They were hunter-gatherers. They were just, they were walking around. They were picking up plants. They were eating dates. They were doing things that were just very calm. 
and had just a little bit of time in the stress response. I think with our harried lives, things have changed and we spend almost all of our time in this stressful state and we need to work hard to get back into this rest and relaxation mode. And I think, unfortunately, that is a side effect of our modern our modern world. So having strategies, be it electrical stimulation or yoga or meditation, where your readers can take some time for themselves and rest and relax will be helpful in almost every setting. I just want to clarify, it seems like our old setting was kind of existing in this parasympathetic state, eating dates, frolicking around all the time with periodic interruptions of tigers and bears. And we've really switched into more of the opposite where we're functioning in a world where we're seeing bears around us all the time and never giving ourselves the opportunity to slow down and eat some dates and just chill out under the tree eating the apple or whatever the example was that you used before. I like that. I, that's a great way of putting it. I'll, I'll modify to say, slow down and go on a date. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people, especially the listeners of this podcast, we've been doing a lot of episodes about the neuroscience of love and attraction and heartbreak. And a lot of listeners have dating anxiety. So maybe that's not going to be the best example. But Maybe if you do some Vegas nerve stimulation ahead of time, your date won't be so stressful and you can actually have an enjoyable experience instead. Well, I, I think whether it be an electrical stimulation or being meditation and rest and relaxation before you go on your date, if you have anxiety about it, that may be a good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So something you mentioned earlier on in the episode was that there is this relationship between the body's electrical activity and its chemical activity. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit more about how electrical stimulation and the electrical nature of the vagus nerve is affecting the physiological reactions in our body. So what neurotransmitters are typically involved in this process of shifting into more of a parasympathetic state? Sure. So one way to think about this is to think about some different disease states, for example, okay? So if you take a look at a patient with post-traumatic stress disorder, as an example, that comes to mind because we've been working on that recently. If you take a patient with post-traumatic stress disorder and you give them a provocative script or something that is a trigger for them, you can actually measure physical and chemical changes in the body. You can measure release of ghrelin, which is one of your stress response hormone. You can measure the production of IL-6, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. And those spike during these triggers and they can be, you know, obviously they're stressful and this is the physiological correlate of that stress. If you take a patient who's got those and has those triggers and you stimulate the vagus nerve, you can dampen those effects. You can dampen the release of cytokines. You can dampen the release of IL-6. You can dampen the release of ghrelin. In a headache model, you can change the release of TNF-alpha and IL-1-beta, pro-inflammatory cytokines. In Parkinson's models, you can change the release of glutathione, TNF-alpha, and BDNF. It's a brain 
like nerve growth factor. You can change the production and release of all of these compounds. And that's all done through a cascade of events. The electricity goes to a, an end terminal and it does something. One of the things that it can do is it causes a release of norepinephrine, ironically, because that's a, typically thought of as a sympathetic neurotransmitter, but also a release of acetylcholine, which is uh, required in the inflammatory response and to relay down new memory. So there's a lot of different effects that the vagus nerve does on various neurotransmitters. We've looked at glutamate production in, an, in, a, in a model of, of headaches, a norepinephrine, serotonin, acetylcholine, the inflammatory cytokine pathways. There's a lot of physical and chemical effects that occur or can be dampened when you stimulate the vagus nerve. It's this really finely tuned integrated system of electricity and chemicals together that are what's controlling your bodily function. I think I got one off on a tangent there. Sorry about that. We love tangents here at Talk Nerdy to Me. And I feel so just in awe of just how influential this one or I guess two cranial nerves are. And it seems like accessing the vagus nerve can really yield some incredibly potent benefits to nearly every aspect of our health because it is connecting with almost every internal organ that we have. And I think my one of my last questions for you, Dr. Stotts, is just selfishly, personally, I want to ask, you know, how has this line of work and area of research and expertise influenced your personal life, like your day-to-day -day relationship with your own nervous system and the way that you take care of it? Well, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's an evolution for me. To me, it was initially a science project saying, what can we do for a child with anaphylaxis, taking it through headaches? Uh, and I don't really experience headaches and I don't really experience difficulty breathing. But as I became more and more aware of the various health benefits and possible benefits, I am thinking of it more like a good diet. You know, I sometimes skip and miss my good diet and I will have a burrito instead of a salad. But having a good diet is good for your body, normal function overall. I think activation of your vagus nerve should be thought of in the same vein. If you're taking nutraceuticals, if you're taking, believe in a good diet, you believe in exercise, one thing to consider for people is, should I be proactively thinking about how to activate my vagus nerve to improve my overall health, well-being, and longevity? I've actually filed patents on vagus nerve stimulation in longevity because I believe that we're going to find that the stress response of our daily lives, we've already found that, uh, can decrease telomere length, which is associated with survival. And I suspect that stimulation of the vagus nerve could potentially alter that pathway. Now, I don't have enough data to support that. Don't want people to go back and say, Dr. Stott says, I'll live longer if I get nerve stimulation. But I do think it's important to stop and think about the science of all of this. And the science is powerful. The science is not just me coming up with this. In fact, if it was just me saying all of this stuff, you should be really cautious. But the fact that all of these scientists across the globe 
are finding some of the same things that we've been talking about for a number of years are really what people should be tuning into and saying, huh, I wonder what's there. And for me personally, it's become a part of lifestyle and hoping that this improves my survival and decreases my Alzheimer's and decreases my predilection for getting Parkinson's and anything else that I could potentially have. I don't see a downside of the rest and relaxation mode. I just need to figure out how to, you know, put this into my daily life. I don't see a downside either. I'm also really curious what you are able to uncover in the realm of your son's peanut allergy. It turns out while my son had initially had really severe allergies, he outgrew them. So fortunately, he has not had to use the Vegas stimulator for his peanut allergies at any time. But it is interesting that when we were studying this, this was back in the early 2000s, we were studying humans with status asthmaticus. And we were showing an improvement in the ability to breathe, work of breathing was improved, what's called FEV1, which is a measure of how you can take a, a deep breath in in one second, how you know how you can objectively measure what's good there. And we showed that we could actually help people. I don't know if your listeners remember this little virus that went around called COVID. Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> I'll try to suppress that. There were two things that were killing people. I remember that New York City, they were running out of ventilators and they were having two sets of problems. Lungs were shutting down and they were going through what's called the cytokine storm. And we proposed to the FDA and the FDA actually granted us based on the data that we had with difficulty breathing that an emergency use authorization for vagus nerve stimulation for acute COVID. And that, I know, helped a lot of people who were going through the early phases of COVID with difficulty breathing and the difficult cytokine reaction that some people were experiencing. So having done the study for my son on peanut allergies and asthma led directly to a treatment that we could use in long COVID because of the work that had been going on for that and was just sitting in a you know, an archive somewhere, and we pulled it out to give to the FDA, along with all the work that others had been doing on the cytokine storm, to present this to the FDA. And the FDA, fortunately, saw the value in this. So while it didn't help my son directly, son's problem helped others over the long term. That is amazing. I love when we follow our own interests and curiosities, especially in service of the people that we love, and it ends up being able to benefit the many. So thank you for all of the work that you've done and the ripple effect that that's had out there in the lives of so many people that have been impacted by this thing that we can all barely remember called COVID-19. I so appreciate it, and I know that a lot of other people do too. If somebody wanted to learn more from you or about you, I know that there's a ton of your research that's shared on True Vega's website, which is going to be linked in the show notes. But I'm curious if there's anywhere else that you would direct listeners to. Yeah, particularly for those who are more scientifically or clinically oriented. We started a nonprofit society to start to provide information to people about the science of the vagus nerve called Vegas Nerve Society or vnsociety.org. It's free. Sign up. We do webinars once a month. 
on various topics. Uh, our next one is December 18th on the science of threat with Steve Porges, who is the author of Polyvagal Theory. And Doug Bremner has been doing all the work on PTSD and, and vagus nerve stimulation. And myself talking about the importance in this you know, silent epidemic out there that we, we see. There will be others coming, so just go to the website, sign up, join. It'll be a, you know, free for people to, to learn more about it. Amazing. So I'm going to include a link to that and a link to Truvega in the show notes. And just to let listeners know, Dr. Stott's team was kind enough to offer you all $15 off of Truvega when you use the promo code TALKNERDY. That's capital T-A-L-K, capital N-E-R-D-Y at truevega.com. And again, the link to that will be in the show notes. Dr. Stotz, do you have any final words of wisdom for listeners before we close out for today? Carry on and stay calm. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on and talking nerdy to me. Thanks, Alex. It's a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.